Welcome to Seven Heads, Ten Horns with Klaus Yoder and Travis Stevens. Welcome back to Seven Heads, Ten Horns, the internet's only podcast history of the devil. I'm Klaus Yoder, and with me, as always, is my dear friend and partner in heresy, Travis Stevens. Travis, how are you doing today? Well, I'm thrilled for a number of reasons. Number one is I have a plumber coming today, which means that my marriage is still going to happen. I am getting married next summer, and I wasn't sure if that was going to be the case if I didn't engage a plumber today. And I've done that. So, you know, anything after that is icing on the cake, which is, yeah. Uh, but the second reason I'm excited today is that we are not alone. I mean, it's not just us today. <laughs> we're not alone. <laughs> There's a, yeah, we, we're delighted to be joined by scholar of religion, race, Catholicism, culture, horror, so many things. Uh, Matthew Kressler, and I'm going to call him Matt. I'm going to keep fucking up that whole thing. <laughs> Matt, welcome to the pod. We, that, well, well, thanks for joining us. Oh, man, I'm so excited to be here. So excited you got a plumber coming, Travis. Uh, it's just like today's a good day. <laughs> uh, thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. Well, we, we had you on. This isn't a random occurrence that you're here with us today. Uh, it's we every year. It's not that we only talk about movies on Halloween, but we on Halloween time, you know, we, we like to do a pod about a, a, a horror film or two. And you have somehow got sucked into this world where you're generating many words about Catholicism and horror. Uh, and that informed the choice of the movies we watched. Um, the Devil and Father Amort, a, a documentary of which about much more later, and The Pope's Exorcist, which I'm sure teenagers around the world are now streaming on Exorcist, like by the millions as we speak. <laughs> but before we get into those two, you know, soon to be preserved in the Library of Congress masterworks, uh, like, <laughs> how did you find yourself writing about Catholicism and horror? And like, what does it all mean to yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, I can hear the blame already, you know, like uh, the blame for the assignment, you know, like built into the question. So thank you for coming along for this ride. Oh, uh, I've, I've made, made us watch, watch so, so much, much worse. <laughs> Related topics. We can talk about that more later. <laughs> um, yeah, so I... It's kind of funny, like I kind of, it was the gift of a sabbatical was the shortest answer to how I started writing about horror. So I've been, you know, I've been a fan of the original Exorcist for as long as I've been a fan of cinema. Like it was one of my, I think it was like, honestly, like one of my earliest moments where I was like, this is a good film and I'm like riveted by it. And it like meant a lot to me at a particular moment in time. Um, fast forward through like undergrad, grad school, um, and into my kind of career as a historian and scholar of Catholics and race and kind of violence and power. Um, you know, I, I was doing, I, I was and continue to do a lot of writing on kind of like Catholic horrors, like in history, like kind of violence, atrocity, cruelty, so clerical sexual abuse. And uh, my primary area is around kind of white Catholic racism. So I was doing all of that writing, it kind of very much in the vein that we do these things as a scholar. Um, and then I had a sabbatical. <laughs> and uh, the sabbatical, um, in I think I used it as a time to continue thinking about those questions, but like in a different frame and when, with different kinds of kind of 
conversation partners, so to speak. Uh, so uh, I, right before I went on sabbatical, I, I taught The Exorcist for the first time and I taught it in conjunction with an essay on evil in Catholic, uh, it was a chapter in, in Bob Orsi's book, History and Presence on the Abundant Presence of Evil. Um, so I, so teaching The Exorcist in 2020, what is it, 2020, 2021, like in the aftermath or an ongoing kind of like reality of clerical sexual abuse gave me like an entirely different perspective on the politics of the film. Um, and then um, in the wake of that, I was yearning for um, Catholic horror that would like have the priest be the bad guy. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, that was when, that. Yeah. yeah, right. And that's when Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass dropped. Um, and I fell in love with that. And that kind of just, that was kind of what led me into this writing. So I wrote an essay on Midnight Mass and Catholic kind of horror and horrors. Uh, and then um, started collaborating with kind of other Catholic studies friends and scholars on the subject um, and just basically really doubled and tripled down on horror as a genre as a great way into kind of horror as history. Um, and and that was kind of like the way in. So now I'm, yeah, now I'm like, I've been typecast as like the Catholic, as one of the Catholic horror guys and I'm like totally cool with it. <laughs> Yeah, it could be so much worse. And just to comment on that, I mean, I think what's what's really interesting about that is I think when we have to talk about, it, you know, as teachers or in the church or whatever capacity we're finding ourselves, the bad stuff, the abundant bad stuff in the history, it can feel like this chore. And I think what's kind of really great about what you're doing is you're sort of leading with something fun, like horror movies, fun for, fun for some subsection of the population, right. area, but you know, at least fun for you right. and for me right. and for Travis. And like, so it's cool to be able to have like a nice hook as a way of sort of transitioning to some like really tough conversations, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like what we do as teachers, right? We like sneak the critical theoretical work into, um, you know, things that our student, you know, in a classroom that our students can engage with and like aren't bored by. Um, and I've kind of like increasingly taken that approach to kind of my writing as a scholar as well, where it's like, okay, how do we get into, you know, whether it's like the weirdness of Catholicism, um, you know, horror is one way into that, um, or, you know, the violence and kind of like the kind of like truly like terrifying stuff about like religious life, like horror is a way into that too. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you mentioned The Exorcist. It's interesting, like talking about older films. I mean, I, you know, teaching... And, and engaging with with younger people as we all do in different capacities at this point like i remember bringing up the terminator the original terminator in a class and you know my none of my students had seen it so this is one thing i think i want to keep talking about this whole episode is why catholic horror maintains that it's still even if they haven't seen the exorcist like they've they've seen midnight mass they've seen these things and like what about it get, like how it has this staying power so, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I we can talk about it more as the conversation goes. But, like, I, I, I am – I'm writing about it right now. Like, as – I think we can call it, like, a tradition, right? Like, there's a tr – like, if we talk about horror as having a variety of different subgenres, like, Catholic supernatural horror is, like, a, you know, there's a through line from, like, The Exorcist in 73 
to the exorcist believer in 2023 or the Pope's exorcist in 2023, right? Like, and there are like genre tropes, things that we expect as viewers. Um, yeah. Right. Well, that's a good transition into uh, what we had to endure uh, for today's episode, which two films, um, two films. And Travis, you, have a, you, have a, you had an interesting experience. You started this document as we, we started to talk about these two films. The two films are The Devil and Father and Mort, a documentary from 2017 by William Friedkin, and The Pope's Exorcist, 2023, directed by Julius Avery, starring Russell Crowe, Daniel Zavato, and Alexandra Esso. But Travis, when you sat down to begin this, the, this noble task of pro- providing us with show notes so we had something to talk about, so, you know, it's too bad William Freakin's dead and he wasn't there with the camera to just like really capture like what happened next. In the room, yeah, right? I'm yeah. upset about that. That too. I really should have been documenting it. Although I'm sure somewhere in the cloud, someone was watching me. But um, I, I saw this little symbol on my Google Doc that said, "Hey, do you want some AI help um, with that little project you're starting?" I was like, "Absolutely, yes. Let's see what you make of what I was about to do." <laughs> Um, which is to write, I, I had titled the document podcast discussion, colon, and the names of the two films. And I was like, sure, I have at it. You want to, you want to do this? Yeah, good luck. And, uh, so I'd like to pose a question to the two of you that I found, uh, especially amusing, which is, um, please discuss, this is your prompt. Please discuss the two documentaries. The Devil and Father and Morth and The Pope's Exorcist. Um, and if you've seen The Pope's Exorcist, I I don't know I don't know how to tell you how much it is not a documentary, but uh, <laughs> it is it is the opposite of doc, of a documentary. It is not that. So um, on that note, do we want to talk next a little bit about what happens in each of these? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's 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 let's, let's do that. What's yeah. Let's do the let's do the the premise of them at least. We don't have to go into the byways and highways of the the, the stupid things that happen. Well, that'll come up organically, you know. But yeah, do you want to? Does someone want to take on a rough sketch of the devil and Father Amort? Yeah, sure. So this is a relatively short documentary. It's you know barely feature length, and it's uh, it's a low tech documentary we've got a camera and we've got william freakin's face uh talking to us there's monologuing a lot at the beginning about you know hi i made the exorcist and now i'm bored (laughs) and older and i'm wondering like how we like like was anything real about this and also what do science what does science have to say about real exorcisms and what can we what can we learn together and so it's this maybe self, some might say self-indulgent, you know, track down memory lane, where we talk about the original case that inspired The Exorcist from 1949, I believe, um, somewhere, middle America. I, it's, it's a, Maryland. 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 Started in Maryland, yeah, Not and then moved America. to Maryland. Missouri. And then Missouri. Oh, no, right. it, it goes to Missouri, so it becomes a oh, middle America true. story. That's, well, and that's yeah. where it mysteriously gets solved, right? So. Um, these these exorcists, uh, these Catholic, Roman Catholic clergy come in to exorcise this kid who is possessed, and uh, it doesn't work out, and they send the kid to this mysterious institution in St. Louis, um, a hospital, but it's run by Catholics, right? It's a religious uh, institution, and then he is 
freed from his, and we have no interest in how that happened, I think because we have no access to that information is what's really going on there. Um, and so we say, okay, what's this phenomenon of, exorcis of exorcism? Well, guess what? There's this guy in Italy called Father Amor, who is not dead yet. He's an older Catholic priest, and he is the uh, diocesan um, exorcist for the Diocese of Rome. Um, here's who after, though, the Pope's exorcist. That's who he is. Let's be honest. <laughs> Um, and he's, he's like, um, some folks have described Jesus as not just a miracle worker, but the best miracle worker in the ancient Near East um, in the time that he was living. And that's what we're supposed to get out of these gospel stories about miracles. Well, this is the best exorcist in town, y'all. If you got a problem and your name is Christina, or we're going to call you Christina for the duration of this film, this is your guy. And you know he's really good because maybe you've been exorcised eight times by him and you're still possessed by a demon, but <laughs> that's not going to stop you from doing number nine. And in this documentary, we actually get to watch. And so a good portion of the documentary after the monologuing and like, look how great I am. I'm the director of The Exorcist. Then a lot of the time is taken up with this exorcism of Christina, which we do get to watch. And we will talk all about that. Um, and then how do things end? Let's see. We have, oh, well, there's the dramatic. There was one more episode where William Friedkin, um, goes to meet up with Christina after this exorcism happens and, and to find out, you know, how are you doing? Like, are you cured? Um, but he, quote unquote, forgot to bring his camera into the church where they meet up and she and her boyfriend are there and there's some demonic screaming and other things are reported. And we interview some, uh, like a series of people after that. There's some death threats. It's all very dramatic. And then we interview some scientists. There's some um, psychiatrists and then there's... Uh, who else? Oh, some neurosurgeons first, then the psychiatrists, um, and then the um, an auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Yes, um, yeah. we talked to him. And then uh, we sort of end abruptly. And that's what I remember. That's your that's your quick walkthrough of the devil <laughs> and father and worth. Klaus, I wonder if you want to walk us through the Pope's Exorcist, your your favorite movie. I will. I wanted to say one thing about the 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 documentary i read this morning this very day i read the vanity fair piece that friedkin had written the year before or published the year before and it's it's basically like i don't know why he made this movie i mean it's just it's all there but one thing i'll note he anonymizes people in the vanity fair piece which does not seem to be what happens in the film uh so one of the one of the major themes I think of that documentary is there's some major ethical so issues when he treats the subjects of what, yeah. what's happening. You could yeah, teach presents, yeah. yeah, you could teach it like in a in an ethnographic methods course as like here let's list all of the IRB violations like that take place yeah. in this experience. Yeah, this would this would be rough getting by an IRB. But yeah, so I just wanted to say that, and he mentions this in the documentary that he wrote a piece about this. But yeah, just to say, uh, it's it's very it's very much parallel to it. Uh, I'm gonna be a little bit more broad strokes. The Pope's Exorcist. This film takes the real life Father Amort and plunges him into danger in Castile, uh, which he travels to from Rome by way of moped. Uh, but it's a film about a family, a family with a single mother 
which might harken back in your minds to, to those loyal Exorcist viewers of the 1973 original Exorcist, the theme of quote-unquote broken families is a constant preoccupation of Catholic horror, I would, I would say, or at least, at least these, these Exorcist pictures. Basically, there's a rundown abbey that has some dark secrets and that a traumatized young son from this, this, you know, this young American family is possessed by a demon the demon wants to have a um, mano a mano contest with Father Amort, who's the, the funniest man, the saddest man, the most passionate man, the most humble man in all of Roman Catholicism. This is the guy he needs to, to defeat. And, oh yeah, yeah. The, the, the folksiest, the tipsiest maybe too. You know, we don't know. It's, it's unclear. Uh, and the... What else to say? Uh, there's there's multiple possessions, and I will. Th- I think one thing to note is that the film suggests that many of the darkest moments in Catholic history have been caused as a result of demon possessed clergy infiltrating the church. It retcons and, the Inquisition. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean the no. devil made me do it. it. Retcons, the devil made yeah. me do it. Okay, so it's not our <laughs> fault. It's fine. Everything's cool. Yeah. So these are the two films. And before we go down into the well that is the contents of these films, things in the Pope's Exorcist are constantly exploding. I mean, like, if you can just light a match in a a well and it just blows up or through a wall, like, wouldn't you be dead after breathing in this house for after like five minutes? (laughs) But whatever, Um, not my problem. Uh, And before we get into the really deep with them, like, I think the question, and we sort of have touched on this a little bit, but like, why do these films, why does a genre have such staying power? I mean, like, we go from 1973 to 2023, we're talking about 50 years on the nose. Like, what, like, why do they endure? What is the appeal? Um, You know, some other things like who makes them, who watches them? I mean, I don't know how much data you have, Matthew, on this stuff, but like, you know, like, what's, why is this a phenomenon? Like, yeah. Um, so I don't have like quantitative data. Um, that's not my, that's not my, uh, my, uh, jam. That's not the That's it. Get, yeah. get, get out. We're not interested in talking let me get, anymore. Let me just like, let me, let me just dive in qualitatively. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like this, just to like I reiterate the like 50 year thing, right. We have the Pope's exorcist and the legacy sequel to the original exorcist, the exorcist believer, both coming out 50 years later. Um, and I would add to that list that like the most, you know, I think in terms of kind of like blockbusting power, um, blockbuster power, um, the most kind of lucrative kind of 21st century horror franchise is the conjuring universe of films, which are, you know, particularly like the, the main conjuring films, conjuring one, two, three, like those are like very much in conversation with the exorcist. Like the first two are clearly possession stories. So, yeah, I mean, what is the appeal? Um, I think, um, um, my argument would be that, um, the enduring appeal is that kind of is is an appeal of kind of like supernatural horror or um, kind of weird fiction broadly, which is that it takes our supposedly kind of normal world, um, our our world where we assume we know kind of how the laws of nature operate um, and how things are supposed to happen, um, and 
kind of throws a supernatural intruder into the mix, revealing that the world is not what we thought it was. Um, that, um, you know, so there, I think as a, as a subgenre, kind of Catholic horror exorcism movies are exercises in nostalgia for a particular imagining of an enchanted world that, that may or may not have been lost at some point. Um, and I think Catholics work in particular for that because Catholics kind of, or at least particular imaginings of what it means to be a Catholic kind of stand in for another time and place. Um, you know, that, you know, candles and statues and, you know, smoke and, you know, men wearing, you know, long black dresses and, you know, all of these things that like, you know, catacombs, they signal to not just another place, but another time. And I think that, um, that these films are so popular because they kind of like activate that kind of phobia philia mix where there's like a, we're scared by this kind of weird Catholic otherness, but we're also like really compelled by the idea that like the world may actually be much more kind of, um, you know, abundantly full of supernatural presence than we thought it was. Um, so like, you know, these films, like almost all, feature like a quote at the beginning or the end <laughs> of like a, a quote unquote real person saying like what you're about to watch is real or you know the lesson you should learn is like the devil is real and you have to choose a side so there's you know i love that the ai demon like named these as both documentaries because i actually think even though um most of them aren't filmed in the kind of found footage style of a, of a horror film. They almost all operate as like, this is a true story. You're about to walk into like what really happened. And they all kind of market themselves as based on a real story. Um, and uh, yeah, so like the Pope, yeah, it's weird. The Pope's exorcist like, is like a biopic, you know, it's like, a, it's in some ways, it's like a biopic. Like it's like a kind of like right. attempt to kind of like, you know, document like this real guy. Right. Um, so I think the real, the realness of it is like key. And that goes all the way back to the original exorcist, which was like, you know, freaking like filmed as if it were a documentary. And I think that that's why the original one works so well. Um, <laughs> that's also like why there's been kind of like diminishing returns, you know, in my opinion over the years. Yeah, no, totally. Um, the other question I had about this, and it was actually informed by a quote from a more from Gabriella himself, uh, was in in um, something I read. He he said he was asked whether the the Exorcist, the film, represented was just another horror film, or was it was it was actually something that was like a radical break and had some connection to reality and could actually be useful. I wonder like with that in mind, like how have these films shaped Catholics in real life? Like how, like how is, how have these films like the phenomenon actually made an impact on the religious culture of we can, we can keep, maybe keep it at American Catholicism, but also maybe like, or even more broadly, but like, cause he talked, they also talk about in the, in the freaking documentary that was like hundreds of thousands of Italians are getting exercised a year or something. 
like that. But yeah, like, do you have you seen the ways that these films are not just a way to talk about what's bad about the history of Catholicism, but like have actually become are shaping it yeah it did it like that actually i don't have like numbers but there are scholars who have demonstrated that there is actually like a quantitative like jump in exorcisms um both like a revival of the practice as a ritual and also the kind of like explosion of um people saying that you know reporting that they've been possessed and are in need of an exorcist like that can be traced actually to the release of the original film um, so a few like Joe, Joe Laycock, who's a scholar of religion and horror has written, actually, he's about to have a book come out, I think on the exorcist, but he's written a lot on this. William Chavez, um, who's another professor of religion and horror, um, has written about this. Like, yeah, there's like actual, like in, in that case, like there's actual quantifiable data that like you have the release of this film activating something in audiences, both Catholics and non-Catholics, um, that leads to a shift in religious practice. Um, and for Catholics, it was particularly fraught because it's coming out in 73, like in the immediate aftermath of the Second Vatican Council. Um, and so like in the 70s, you have a lot of Catholics who are actively and vigorously trying to kind of like modernize the church and get rid of these things that they take to be superstitions and hocus pocus and, and problems for kind of modern Catholicism. And at the same time, you've got lots and lots of Catholics who are kind of like going through stages of grief and, and lamentation at like what they take to be like an attack on like their church. Um, and so like, then the exorcist comes out like in 73, like eight years after the end of the second Vatican council. And I think, gets taken up in that um and yeah become i mean like critics at the time like not as a compliment like pauline kale was like the exorcist is the biggest recruiting poster that the catholic church has had since going my way and the bells of saint mary's and like that was like a that was a slam for kale like she was like that's why it's such a bad movie is because it's like basically a propaganda piece for the catholic church um but for catholics it was um it kind of split opinion like it was like for some Catholics, like a, a reassertion of what Catholicism really is about. And like, that's the nostalgic, like, this is what, this is what we need to hold on to. And then for others, um, like I was just talking to my friend who I'm collaborating with Jack Downey, he was saying that the Berrigan brothers hated it. Um, and the Berrigan brothers who were these like peace activists, kind of social justice Catholics, um, they were, they were kind of like two of the ones who were like, yeah, this is, this is garbage. This is exactly what we're trying to get rid of. Um, and you can see how the, the, the exorcist itself is processing Vatican II because one of the main themes of the, of the film is how, is how despondent the clergy is there. They've lost their way, right? And uh, Damien Karras, who, who represents like the synthesis of like modern, of modernity and, and the tradition is, is, has lost his way. So like that you do, it's something that is not just like, you know, sort of stimulating something painful, but is also, it's actually also like part of the content too. Yeah. And that's, it's a, that's a theme of the subgenre. Like it's, it's actually often the kind of like secular modern skepticism of possession is often baked into the Catholic characters. So like you have in the original exorcist, the, Harvard-trained psychiatrist Jesuit um, who's a skeptic and, like, the, like, old hat archaeologist exorcist. 
Um, but you, in the Amityville horror, you have like scenes where, um, you know, a priest is, is basically being like shouted down by other priests who say like, this isn't, you know, get this like exorcist mess out of here. Um, and then all the way up to like 21st century iterations, like in the conjuring, um, like the, the Vatican, you know, is slow to approve an exorcism. And like the butt of the joke of the film is that like they, the approval for the exorcism like only makes its way through the bureaucracy at the end after like the lay Catholics have done the work of the exorcism. So um, there's like a cat, there's, there's always a kind of interesting, like Uber Catholic, but also kind of like anti-Catholic or kind of like Catholic critique kind of like baked into these stories. And it's there in the, the Pope's exorcist too, you know? Right. Yeah. So Travis, maybe do you want to take the next question about, about who Amort was? And yeah. Sort of we can, because it connects. Uh, sure. So we've got this character, Father Gabriele Amort. Um, what is his appeal? Uh, and I mean here both the historical person that we see in the the, the actual documentary, uh, <laughs> and then also the fictionalized vers version we see in the documentary in quotes that the AI demon has called a documentary. <laughs> um, why is he regarded as something of a folk hero? Um, how do we place him in these larger conversations of kind of church politics, views on modernity and Catholicism, and um, what's really at the root of the, the evil possessing the Catholic church? Yeah. I mean, I actually want to start with Russell Crowe's kind of embodiment of him. Who doesn't want to start with Russell Crowe? I mean, that's let's just, start with Russell Crowe. I agree that that's the best place to start, really. Right? For most questions. He... He plays him, and clearly, like, the, the film has been crafted and invited him to play him as, like, a punk rock counterculture, like, rebel priest. Um, like, I mean, just, you know, either despite or because of, you know, riding on the moped. But, like, he's, like, he's wearing all black. He's kind of stylized almost like a Luther or an Aquinas. Like, he's not wearing a white yeah. collar. Luther. Like, he's, like... Luther, big-time Luther vibes. Yeah, I was getting Luther vibes as well. And, and but it's, like, punk, again, like, punk rock Luther, who's, like, you know, um, you know, my faith doesn't need defending. Like, I, you know, talk yeah. to my boss, who's the Pope, you know? Yeah. Um, like, I do what I want, and, like, I'm a represent... So I wanted to start there before moving to the like cafe latte. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, give me a macchiato. Are you insane, woman? Um, yeah, like I, and even like, <laughs> can we curse on this pod? Is this a is this a cursing pause? Okay, so like even the moment where like the possessed child in the Pope's Exorcist, you know, says like bring me the priest, and then like throws the priest out, and he's like wrong fucking priest, like. Yep. It's like, there's this, like, he, as I'm watching the Pope's exorcist, Russell Crowe is clearly, like, stylizing Amort as, like, a punk rock superhero rebel priest. And I wanted to start there because I think that the, that Amort, the fictional character and the, like, real person... I think having, there's an attraction about them in certain Catholic circles because, like he's taken to be like a representative of like the real power of the church um, as opposed to all of this. Like, um, I mean, I think we, I, I was, we can gender it, right. This effete 
kind of like, um, you know, emasculated, like uh, social justice oriented kind of beige modern Catholicism, beige Catholicism, beige Catholicism. That's right. Um, exactly. Um, <laughs> to quote Bishop Barron, who is quoted in that, um, you know, documentary, uh, I think that he embodies all of that down to the like, again, like working in gendered language, like the masculinist portrayal of him as like a soldier, an anti-fascist soldier, um, you know, in, in this, in the second world war. Um, so I think, um, he is a good, he operates as like a good symbol for, um, a particular kind of Catholic who sees, what's wrong with the church as the church kind of getting away from it's like commitment to like the one true eternal and apostolic kind of supernatural superpower. Um, and you know, the kind of problems with, um, having kind of like transformed all of that into kind of like symbol and idea. So like you even have in the Pope's exodus, you even have like one of the Cardinals, you know, being like, we need to, we, our church is under pressure to be relevant. And like you bringing all of this like supernatural mumbo jumbo into the room is, um, you know, is, is giving us a bad rap and a more, again, it's like, no, but like, I, I represent the real, the real true power. It doesn't matter like what the world thinks. And the real true power means part of the debate is, well, is evil real or is it a metaphor? And that's like, that's the, that's how that conversation has worked out. He's like, well, I need to do all the mumbo jumbo because evil's real. And we have forgotten if evil isn't real, why is there a church? I think he asks at one point. Right. So we have that, that sort of recourse to this kind of um, pre-modern magical uh, like mode of Catholicism. We also have another way of thinking about evil, which is the bureaucracy. Because like one of the things we're talking about in this question is like, who is this guy, you know, Gabriel Amor? And and the things he actually said, uh, he he said apparently on multiple occasions that there was like the satanic power working in the Vatican, and so the, and we get this in the film because one of the first encounters we have with the church and its sort of Vaticanness is with the. Uh, what is with the curia or the congregation for the propagation or whatever defense of the faith or I don't know I'm not a, I'm not an expert on the on Vatican bureaucracy but you know um, but anyway they're, they're grilling him because they're like oh you're doing these unsanctioned exorcisms or and whatever and we have the impression from this if we if we already know that this guy's the real deal and so these guys are you know most of them are, are full of shit and they're this the, the whole the whole thing points towards like oh like the real there's, there's evil in the world, but there's evil in the church too. And that's also, I think what I see the sort of, when you're talking about the punk rock thing, he has to be the representative of the authentic true church. And he's the Pope's, the Pope likes him. And we can talk about which Popes he likes from what we can tell from these. Movies. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. There's in the, in the doc in, <laughs> I hesitate to, it's funny. They're both documentaries, but they're also <laughs> neither of them are documentaries. Like yes. it's kind of a weird <laughs> thing. Um, so in The Devil and Father Amort, you know, and one of you noted, noted this in the notes, like, um, so Pope Francis is, is the Pope, like, who is, like, the Pope when this documentary was filmed. It was filmed in 2016. 
And on the background in the wall, like you can see a portrait of, of Pope Francis, presumably that was just there because he's the Pope. But in the, in the ritual, you know, in, in the ritual accoutrement that's been brought in for this exorcism, one of the most central features is a portrait of Pope John Paul II, um, Saint, you know, Saint Pope John Paul II. Uh, um, and yeah, like just to that point, like I think it's like, that the presence of that portrait there is like pretty makes it pretty clear like who the real <laughs> who the real pope is and therefore like who the real church is um as far as Amor is right concerned. just just for the listeners can you can 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 we unpack like what is it about you showing john paul ii versus focusing on france like what is being communicated in that iconographic sort of yeah so um <laughs> how do we do this in like five sec five minutes um so uh, basically from, you know, we, I mentioned the Second Vatican Council. So for, for listeners um, unfamiliar, the Second Vatican Council was a gathering of the kind of um, religious elite of the Catholic Church in the early to mid 60s. Um, and it was convened by Pope John the Twenty-Third, um, and closed by Pope Paul VI. Um, and what the Second Vatican Council um, was designed to do was to, you know, open the, the, the doors of the church to the modern world um, and kind of signal a kind of shift in the Catholic Church's relationship to the world. Um, after, after World War II. After World War II. After World War II, right. So I, I say that um, because ever since then, so from 1965 on, like what it is meant to be Catholic and how one embodies that Catholicism has been a fraught thing that often has kind of like been aligned with um, kind of people either who feel like that direction of the Second Vatican Council was a good thing and maybe should even be t taken even further um, or people who have either tried to kind of like kind of pause the process or even kind of revert to what they take to be a true Catholicism that preceded the Second Vatican Council. And different popes have been taken to kind of represent different sides in that kind of like ongoing battle. So John Paul II, who kind of like very cannily took the names of both those two popes, John and Paul, um, kind of stylized himself as kind of, um, by doing that, kind of like carrying on the spirit of the Second Vatican Council, but really was understood by many to be kind of trying to kind of like put a stop on um, this kind of transformation uh, and modernization of the church. His um, successor, Benedict, even more so, kind of, um, you know, doubled down on that and kind of overtly kind of like said, like, we need to make not a big tent of this Catholic church, but a kind of like small select few of the people who are actually kind of like living what it means to be Catholicism or what, what it means to be Catholic. Um, and then Francis is taken very much is kind of self-styling himself as John the 23rd, as like someone who is kind of embracing a much more kind of um, pastoral style, committed to justice. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so that I think that was five minutes or less, um, but that like who your Pope is, quote unquote, um, says a lot about like who um, you, what, what it means for you to be Catholic and what you imagine kind of true Catholicism to be. So under the reign of Benedict, lots of Catholics kind of committed to um, a kind of, a kind of 
orient a Catholic orientation to justice and to kind of kind of engaging with kind of the modern world kind of felt very um, kind of isolated and alienated under the reign of Pope Benedict. Similarly, under the reign of Pope Francis, it's kind of the inverse, where a lot of people who um, so related to Francis, sorry, related to Benedict and John Paul feel kind of like it's no longer their church, so to speak. So a mort in that context, like feels very much like a kind of cult hero for the the Benedict stands, right? Like he he's the um, kind of embodiment of what they take to be like the true church, the small kind of select few who are embattled in the midst of this kind of like corrupt modern bureaucracy, um, you know, yeah. And before we shift to maybe a few questions from Travis about the nature of the recorded exorcisms themselves, uh, the other thing that stood out to me with the JP2 portrait is I think of him as a cold warrior, and like the whole the assertion that evil is real and needs to be combated is also one that really aligns with uh, anti-communism in Catholicism, and of course like Catholics were the avant-garde anti-Catholic anti-communists in the United States and abroad. And so that's another sort of it's a little subtler, but it's like the sort of the commitment to to fight to like you know a church militant is is something that I see in that too. Yeah, yeah, and in that to go back to that documentary, like the bishop that they bring in, like the representative of the Catholic Church. Uh, Bishop Barron, like, is very much, I think, kind of, like, uh, imagines himself as, like, the, the warrior, you know, like, the warrior church, the militant church, right? He is his very famous for his word on fire um, kind of series that, yeah, is, like, the vanguard, you know, the vanguard, the front lines of the spiritual, you know, battle that the church should be fighting. Well, I just wanted to uh, track a couple of other points with Father Morton, how we place him in these larger contexts. One, um, some culture war stuff. So, he makes some statements. Uh, this is the uh, historical figure, Father Morth, um, Gabriela Morth. Um, so on yoga, on Harry Potter, he frowns on both, just so you know. And uh, Shockingly. He, big frown. I mean, as we all know, <laughs> downward facing dog is the work of Satan. We know that. Like that's, I think, like everyone can agree. Um, but he also makes this interesting, so the historical figure you know, people are looking for little nuggets like, well, where do you stand on X, Y, and Z hot, you know, topic that's either in the culture that we've mentioned or that's more close to the Vatican. So there was this unsolved murder case from the 80s, I think, um, Emanuela Orlandi disappeared and there's all this and we don't know what happened uh, to her. Um, but he said, oh, yeah, 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 she definitely died. And it's related to these Vatican sex parties that happened and she was, you know, kidnapped and used in those and then her body was deposited somewhere and we don't know where it is. Um, how do we think about his, you know, little forays into these larger debates and how does that help us place him in addition to kind of the, the papacy that maybe he feels closest to when he's performing the ritual? Does that help us kind of contextualize him at all or not really? I mean, it, uh, I, I think so. Oh, go you go. No, you go. Oh, the only thing I was going to say was is he when the these thing what you know there's the content of what he's saying, but there's also the fact that he takes these these stands because like the guy he comes off one of the, the sort of the 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 characteristics of him that the that the drama and also the documentary want to put out there is he's humble, he's a simple man, he's a Paulist father, he's you know the guy is like writing books about himself, <laughs> you know he's he's giving these quotes to the media. I mean there is 
it's 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 actually so ingenious that he doesn't sort of come across as like this sort of media seeking sort of like you know edgelord you know click hound person but like that's like kind of like i i feel like my take on it is like that's sort of what he's doing is that he has mastered this look of like being very humble and down to earth and yet and yet you know in the in the drama the film it's his pride is also something that comes out and i'm like the guy was thought enough of himself to be like uh you know sort of doing the talking head thing a little bit or, or was like wading into controversies. And I think that's, that's actually significant. It actually is linked to the broader phenomenon. That's the thing. Or are these the exceptions though? Like these little moments, are people like pushing and pushing for him to like, he's held his silence for so long. He can no longer keep silent. Like brother, yeah. give us a word. <laughs> like, is this the like, you know, yeah, like yeah, this, maybe. this like pulling him into things that he'd rather stay out of. Um, uh, oh, and Give us a word in the tabloid. Exactly, us, exactly. Know? But then also like this, the ritual itself, I'm just going to like dip a toe in here to say, do you notice that he's speaking yeah. in the quote unquote documentary? He's speaking Italian um, for most of the time, at least. Uh, it's not Latin. Yeah. And all of these so portrayals good, yeah. that I've seen in cinema so far, and it's just the two films, really, three, three. Latin is such an important feature. It and is. For our tradcasts in the audience, like, we got to speak it. Like, what's going on? Our, yeah. What, isn't he supposed to align with our expectations around uh, around language as well? Or what, what do we think of that? Yeah. The, just on the Latin note, like, one of my, one of, like, the biggest punchline of the movie, The Pope's Exorcist, <laughs> is the conclusion where he turns to his young priest friend and says you learned the latin <laughs> like it's it was like you right like yeah. he does it like the young priest like doesn't know latin in the beginning uh, and that's like a sign of his like you know being a young Our fallen church right exactly i fell in love with a woman right like if he had known the yeah. latin he would have been able to you know the power of christ compels you he would have totally been able to yeah. do this. but in latin you learned obviously. the latin you yeah. learned the latin um Oh, yeah. Uh, working backwards on some of those things um, that, that you guys raised. Um, uh, one on his, like, on the humility slash, like, vanity of Amort. Like, I, I went on his Wikipedia page, like, before our interview and looked at some of his, like, book titles. And Hell yeah. <laughs> and two of the, the, I don't know what, like, so there, there are ones that you'd expect, like, The Devil is Afraid of Me is the title of one. And... <laughs> And, and uh, the Pope's Exorcist is another, and some of these are, you know, in fairness to Amorth, some of these are interviews with him. So, like, who knows whether those are the titles he wouldn't he would have given them himself. But two, the ones that I don't know why it, these this one killed me. But one of them is an exorcist tells his story, and then the next one is an exorcist colon more stories. <laughs> i just like i got stories i, I died about that because it so like i i do think it seems like he is this exorcist but he's also sees himself in some regard either he himself is um kind of forwarding this or he's just like willingly like taking the invitation and stepping into the fray like i do think he sees himself as a kind of um a spokesman for a particular, you know, church, right. Um, in the face of a different, um, kind of imagining of it. I mean, and, you know, if we want to, you know, think about the documentary, um, the director of the original exorcist comes up to him and says, yo, 
father, can I record you doing an exorcism? And he's like, yes, please. Can you please do that? Um, like, so that it's got to tell you something, right? I mean, like, that's like, absolutely. I, and I, I haven't said this out loud yet. So I just need to say it. Like, it is absolutely that, that, that the fact that that film exists, the devil and father Amort, that it's absolutely insane that that film exists, like on so many levels, like, um, <clears throat> but just one last thought and I'll shut up going to the sex, the sex party thing that you were raising Travis around like this kind of like where he's situated in the culture wars of the church and is taking a stand on, or not taking a stand, making a statement on, um, you know, like, oh yes, like that girl was murdered and she was murdered in a Vatican sex party. Like, at, you know, that is like very much the kind of um, accusations of sexual um, deviance and um, hedonism in the Vatican um, is, is central to conservative critiques of the Vatican bureaucracy um, and um, resonates with long-standing anti-Catholic um, kind of sensationalism and also <laughs> happens in a context in which we know that clerical culture worldwide has engaged in acts of sexual violence and predation and conspiratorial cover-up. So it's it's such a tough thing to talk about because on the one hand, when Amort is saying that, he's like parroting what some of the most conservative, kind of arch-conservative reactionary Catholics, the accusations that they'll levy against a Pope Francis is like, you know, you put on this whole like image of being a humble, like justice-seeking kind of servant, but like behind the curtain, there are these kind of, you know, it's, it's often kind of like homo, you know, outwardly homophobic, um, you know, outwardly or kind of like explicitly kind of, um, you know, condemning, you know, and, and kind of maybe even fabricating sexual kind of deviance. But then we have to say, as we say that, we have to also acknowledge that there is sexual violence <laughs> that is going on and has been going on for a long time. And so this is one of the things that me and, and my friends and co-authors are, are working through is like, what do you do with the, the fact that sexual deviance and violence is at the heart of anti-Catholic tropes and fantasies and nightmarish kind of paranoid fictions and also is like a, an established historical fact um, that we have to like reckon with. And so Amort is like, you know, inserting himself like right in the middle of all of that, right? He's like taking up that conservative um, kind of like, you know, uh, call. Um, but, if, but, you know, to go back to those popes for a second, right? Like John Paul II and Benedict were like the two popes who reigned over the conspiratorial cover-up of, of clerical sexual abuse. So they're kind of like for, you know, a certain kind of conservative Catholic, they become a kind of like paragon of like the Holy church, um, undefiled by the modern world. But, um, they also kind of, you know, reigned over that kind of conspiratorial cover up. So I wanted to say, I wanted to say 
basically we got into the the cover up in the the clerical sexual abuse situation. I want to this is a little, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but like this I found to be it's not that it's not there in the documentary, but it's very much there yet unspoken in the 2023 film with Russell Crowe with how it sort of positions these clerical heroes, because like, it's clear, like we've already made, you know, it's probably clear by now that Amort and his sidekick are the protagonists of this film. But for, for, for either of you, like, how did you see this film trying to deal with the sexual violence of the clergy and like, and then I want to try to get you to read my mind. Like the thing that is the, one of the crazy plot points of this film is that the claim of the film, as we mentioned before, is that everything bad that's ever happened in the history of Catholicism is because priests were possessed by demons and they started the Inquisition. Um, I can't believe they didn't say Pacelli was possessed by a demon. You know, like I, you know, it's, it, you can go on and on in terms of like how, how he dealt with the Holocaust, which more and more is coming out about how he dealt with it this year, which is crazy, crazy shit. But, uh, but yeah, like what, in terms of like the one crisis, they don't say, oh, and you know, the sexual abuse crisis, they could have been like, that's caused by demons too. They didn't do that. Like, how does the film like address it or not address it or what, what's going on? Because it's, it's, it's like grossly there, but like, I, yeah, I don't know. I have thoughts, Travis. You want to, you want to go step into the fray with yeah, your thoughts let's, first? Let's lead with the less informed person and then have the person who actually knows more. <laughs> the one to like, punch. One clean up like, afterward. Actually, that kind of makes sense to me. Um, I would say that first I want to speak about the not naming it explicitly. Um, I think that's really pragmatic. If you're looking for a, a blockbuster, you know, Netflix film hit, taking that on uh, super directly doesn't make sense because people have strong feelings and uh, different feelings about it. And you're trying to capture the entirety of Catholic sort of, you know, folks, non-Catholic, I'm interested in spooky horror things, and let's just stay out of anything controversial. So there, there's that's the dumb answer as to why we don't go there more explicitly. Because I think if they made the claim, oh, it's this is also demonic possession, it would be too easy with people this close to the pain and trauma of what's happened to say, hmm, you literally just said the devil made me do it when you did it and we know who did it. Um, and it was not the devil, it was you. And we have names and we have dates. Um, so I think that's the dumb answer. Um, but it does appear in more, in more less direct ways, right? We have the possessed little boy who grabs his mom's breast in what is supposed, maybe it's also about breastfeeding, but it feels certainly like sexual violence as well. Um, we have the possessed little little boy saying that he's going to rape um, the um, the pre the two priests and they're gonna like it, etc. Oof, it's that that part's really hard. Um, yeah, it's really hard because it does, I think, evoke. Um, it flips it. It's, it's so yeah, exactly. There's a there's a literal perversion, right? There's a, a turning mm -hmm. around of the dynamic that we're used to talking about. the evil the evil we're used to talking about, real right? Um, so what, it, yes. So someone smarter than me who knows more about this, please continue. Um, and that's Matt, go. <laughs> no, I mean, you're making me, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the, 
the sex sexual perversity and violence is central to like Catholic exorcism horror as a subgenre. Um, like starting with Reagan McNeil masturbating with a crucifix in the seventy three film, and and you know forcing her mother, you know, like you know forcing her mother on her. Um, all the way to the to the to the Pope's exorcist that you were saying, um, and like the Pope's exorcist kind of like adds to that not only the like sexual violence of the possessed child to the priests, which I think you're spot on, is an like an inversion of like real historical horror, um, but also has the demon who's possessing them, um taunt and tempt them with their own priestly sexuality right so the the demon which is very straight yeah. yes which is don't very worry, straight don't worry everyone is... it's straight they're girls they're yeah. girls they're women they're girls okay they are women they are women yeah um which was okay so you know like when you watch a movie on streaming it'll like tell you like you know rated r for but but and one of the things was nudity i noticed and i was like there's nudity. Like, what's gonna? How is that gonna happen? Um, and uh, it did. Is Russell Crowe gonna get naked in this film? Yeah, yeah and I mean, it. You know, one might answer. It was. It was like the demon, um, you know, embodying the beautiful woman that this priest had been in love with, right? And so there's a story, like part of one of the weird subplots of, um, of the Pope's Exorcist is this kind of like affirmation of like clerical celibacy you know like the young priest like his like heroic journey involves like him saying yes to the faith and no to this like beautiful woman um that he's had an affair with um so anyway i, I wanted to note like i think you're spot on in terms of like the the kind of like really disturbing way in which that sexuality is used um and i think that like it, I, I think, so for the all, again, all the reasons that you said, Travis, I think like is, is largely why they don't talk about sexual abuse directly in the film, because like that would be, you know, the Inquisition was a long time ago. Retconning the Inquisition is one thing, but like, um, yeah, you would probably make headlines, I would guess, if like you had like a blockbuster horror film, like, you know, making an argument about like, clerical sexual abuse like not being like a real human thing um but i one of the things that i think uh, that i've noticed is that um i i think you know i would argue that every catholic exorcism horror movie made in the wake of the revelations of clerical sexual abuse pretty much all of them have to grapple with that in one way or another um and most of them have addressed it, I think, by removing priests from the equation. <laughs> so like the the exorcism stories like from 73 up to the early 2000s, it's the like priests who like step in and like do something, right? Um, but uh, the conjuring, like the priests are like, you know, the, the one priest you see is just basically a stand-in for the like bureaucratic like um, impotence of the Catholic church. It's this like heroic, like married lay couple who like step in and do the exorcism. Um, in the Pope's exorcist, um, there's also, sorry, it, sorry, in the exorcist believer. So the, the, the sequel that came out this year to the original exorcist, 
the priest figure, I won't spoil too much, but the priest figure also serves mostly as like an, an emblem of the impotence of the church. And it's like other people who are like stepping in to the fray. So I think the like most common way to deal with clerical sexual abuse indirectly is to like remove priests from the equation because like, and I had this experience rewatching the exorcist, you know, with my class, like the original exorcist ends with like the climax of the film is two men locking themselves in a room with a 12 year old girl who's strapped to a bed. Right. Um, and like refuse to let the mother be in there and, yeah, like it works in the context of the film, like, but it, it you can't that like that. I don't think that there's a way that that plays today with what we know about what has actually happened in people's lives, the violence that people have actually experienced. Um, and so w- one way to do that is to just remove priests. I think the other way, the way that I find most interesting are the stories that kind of subvert it by having the priests present, but like representative of something else so like the devil's doorway um is um a kind of exorcism haunting possession story set in magdalene laundries um in ireland um and and the kind of and it's like explicitly like taking catholic supernatural horror as a way to like talk about like historical horrors that catholics perpetuated um uh, midnight mass, like does something similar, like the priest, you know, like brings a monster into the community and is like, not a, you know, there's a redemption arc, but like, he's not a good dude really. (laughs) Um, and so like, that's the other way, like, but, but even in the subversion, like midnight mass, um, devil's doorway, even in the subversion, like nobody can quite name clerical sexual abuse directly. Um, there, I think where, so for folks who really want to um, explore what that would look like, there's a filmmaker named Skip Shea. Um, so Skip, and then his last name, S-H-E-A, who's produced a lot of um, indie films. He is himself a survivor of clerical sexual abuse. And he's kind of taken horror as like a way to sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly, like kind of um, work through and address like that violence. But like in terms of, but like, I think Travis, you're spot on. Like in terms of like a blockbuster film, like if you're trying to make money um, and trying to hit like the widest possible audience, like I think that people have concluded like best just like stay away. I think that what, one of the things that occurred to me was that when Amort is denouncing the Vatican bureaucracy and we have these strange scenes with, I think it's Cardinal Sullivan, where he seems to be a little bit plugged in to what the demon is doing. And you're like, oh, are you a, are you a demonic mole in the, in the, in the, in the bureaucracy? But I think the, my take on it is that the film, of course, for the reasons you all laid out, it can't come out and say this. But I think when you're saying, oh, it, the Inquisition was caused by demons, and you're like, well, what else was, right? And, and to have show the the show this evil side of the church is i think it's 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 positioning itself to to kind of nudge us or or nod towards that without having to say it it doesn't have to say it out loud on the one hand in terms of dealing with it and the other thing i wanted to say is i feel like you were talking about like strategies of like perhaps critique in these maybe this, this irish film where 
the, the Irish are, are pretty clear about how, how they deal with the, the Catholic sexual abuse crisis and what it's done to the prestige of the church in, in that country, in the Republic of Ireland. But um, I found this like actually like cynical in how it, was, it occurred because it was, it, was, it was playing with it and it was like sort of almost hedging that there was almost enough distance where it could sort of like toy with it a little bit without having to deal with the seriousness of what it was getting at. And so I like I found it like probably more direct an engagement with when any of the things you you've brought up, but not in a positive way, in, in a very cynical way, <laughs> an exploitative way. And we get this we get this like this shock reversal of of who's going to be the victim and who's going to be the victimized. But it's it's I mean like it's it's morally outrageous like what. What, what it suggests by, by doing this. Um, and, and so, yeah, I just wanted to sort of register some of those things. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fucked. <laughs> like the, that part of the, of the yeah, movie. Yeah. What were you going to say, Travis? I was going to dumb down the conversation a little bit because that's my one of my cherished roles in this podcast. So I wanted to say something very basic, which is what counts as a successful exorcism? <laughs> and here I'm interested in both of the films that we're talking about, but also since we have... Um, we have an expert in Catholic horror with us. I love a broader perspective on this question. He, he's also an exorcist. We forgot oh, thank you. Yes. Okay, perfect. Also, <laughs> if you could see to that bringing in my ears, I can't get rid of. That would be, that would be really great. It keeps, you know, it keeps threatening. Yeah, you and Bishop Barron. Yeah, too. Yeah. Oh. oh. No, I'm not, spir- exactly. I'm not spiritually holy enough to be an exorcist. You know, like, like Bishop Barron... Me and Bishop Barron in the documentary. I'm not. I'm not holy enough to do that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trifle with the devil. I'm not that holy. Uh, so well done. Well done. Um, so in in our in the devil and Father Amor, um, we have the, we are introduced to Christina, who is such a fan of his, which is very very surprising to me because, on a really basic level, if I am possessed by a demon and I go for an exorcism. My goal would be to uh, not have that demon come back and to be healed and whole again. Uh, And I'm sure that's what Christina wanted as well, but I'm not completely sure. And it's because she has nine of these in a row with the same guy. And, you know, I might try something new. I might try a different exorcist or I might switch things up a little bit. But she is convinced that he is the, the best exorcist around. So... Why might she, how do we think about exorcism as um, more akin to acupuncture? You know, you have to go for several sessions. This is a regular part of your life because I don't see that in the few films that I've seen in the, you know, moving into the the horror subgenre, right? That's not what I'm used to. Um, And then also just to add to that, in The Pope's Exorcist, we have this scene where we're in the basement of like an abandoned, abbey i think where this all takes place and we discover that the medieval cardinal protector like which one i'm very anyway whatever it's fine um is in charge of uh getting rid of these uh this demonic presence who we find out is asmodeus who's infected this monastery um he himself becomes possessed he locks himself in the basement of the abbey um to contain the evil within it and then the vatican seal (laughs) Like the church would just like seal it, like we did this. <laughs> like, anyway, it all gets locked up. The secret gets locked up, and there's a cover up. We don't know anything about what that would look like, so that's that's fine. Anyway, um, 
how do we think about uh so that's they say about that situation they do this when an exorcism fails we just lock things up we just contain it and it seems like we have a study in contrast here about what a failed or successful exorcism is uh, thoughts about that uh <clears throat> i mean i i was really struck by in the devil and father Amort the <clears throat> the documentary if we want to call it that um I was really struck by Christina showing up like it was a psych, like a, like her therapist appointment. Like it was like the, like, so there's this whole like eerie buildup as you know, y'all named, right? Like, you, you know, Bill Friedkin is like at the steps in Georgetown. That's the house where the exorcism happened. Oh, be spooked. And then it's like cut to Christina, like sitting in a like beige, waiting room is it a hospital? being where like oh they? yeah where are they in that scene i don't even know i don't even know like my guess was that it was just like a nondescript like office building or something con no like convent or like monastery oh, you know, like some like sense, some yeah. like kind of like you know like just nondescript catholic place um like you're not gonna go in the so chapel I, so, there's like surely yeah surely there was a sanctuary yeah. available for this but no yeah no. Yeah. No, I was just, it looked, looks very much like just like a kind of like generic corporate, like, you know, 21st century building. Um, I, so one of the things I found interesting about the devil and father at Mort watching it, like with this whole back catalog of horror movies is that like, for all of its like ethical, like real ethical problems with like filming and exorcism, whether or not Christina is really possessed, we can, I think, agree that, like, there's something that has is troubled. Like, she's troubled in some way, right? Like, so there's a lot of ethical problems with the film. But I, I think that it is a really interesting, like, case study in contrast. Like, if, you know, like, here's what it looks like on a silver screen in a horror movie. But, like, look at how kind of ordinary and and boring it looks like in real life um you but, know but matthew if you heard that voice wouldn't you have been scared in real life the voice the, the, christina's voice <laughs> is everyone acts like it's totally normal in the documentary when she starts speaking like blah, 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 you know and and I yeah i don't know like what they, were they all just so used to it at that point that they're just, they're just like whatever she just when she gets possessed she speaks with you know like uh like, you know, she's jumping octaves, like, or, you know, I don't know, like, what's what's going on? Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. I, well, I we, so this, this gives us an opportunity to, like, say one of the most, like, amazing, I'm not going to get the quote word for word, but, like, one of the most amazing moments of, of the documentary is, you know, Bill Friedkin asks Amort, like, how do you know it's a real possession? And Amort says... Well, when you do the ritual of exorcism on the person, if it's real, they'll like demonstrate things that demonstrate that it's real, which was like, as I was watching, it's like, this is like throwing a woman in a river and being like, well, if she like <laughs> dies, then you knew she was a witch, right? Like, uh, yeah, like it's like, so, <clears throat> and, and on this note, like, you know, so what are those signs? Well, speaking, you know, this is actually like one that like is common in horror movies, right? Like actually not common. It's like, it's universal. Like any Catholic exorcism movie involves like, how do you know that they're possessed? Well, they're speaking in languages they couldn't possibly know. 
Um, and, and he says that in the documentary, like, you know, one of the signs is like speaking in language they don't know. I am not proficient, let alone fluent in Italian, but it was like clear to me throughout that this Italian woman, when she was like speaking in her supposedly demonically possessed voice was speaking in Italian. Like she was saying things like basta, which is, you know, enough and my like never and satana, you know, like she was speaking in Italian. So anyway, <laughs> all that said, like, you know, you know, and not getting into like, was she or was she not possessed and does exorcism work or not work? Like, I think that it, it, you know, in the hands of a different kind of documentarian, it actually offers a kind of interesting like case study and like, you know, in the same way that like we're teaching religion in a classroom and we're like, this is what, you know, people say it is, but like, this is what it actually looks like, right? Like, you know, you could look at like what an exorcism looks like in a film and, it, and because it, an exorcism in a film is operating within the constraints of a film that has to have a story and has to have a climax to that story and has to have a satisfying conclusion to that climax, like uh, in a film, the exorcism, you know, is this culminating thing and it, and it works in the sense that like the devil leaves. Though if you think about exorcism movies, like almost always, like there are a number of exorcisms that happen before the final kind of release at the end. Um, but what was striking about this one was, yeah, like the mon the mon the banality of it. Um, like I just like can't get past the like she showed up for her appointment on time and like came in and was like, okay, like ninth time's gonna do it, right? Let's do this. It looks like um, he's gonna draw this... blood from her. That's what it looks like. They're sitting with the way they're, yeah, they're totally. sitting in the chairs, it looks like she's about to get some blood taken. Like that's what it looks yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, which, you know, Again, I think like as a religious studies scholar is makes it an interesting artifact because like if we want to say, like a lot of the scientists who he interviews say like that, um, you know, human beings have lots of like psychological and neurological kind of things that happen to them and that human beings tend to interpret those phenomena in the in the cultural frameworks within which they are given, right? And so, like watching the documentary without without Friedkin putting reverb on her voice when she goes demonic, and like without him um, narrating it as as an exorcism, if we were just to watch it, it actually is kind of like an interesting like example of like a context in which like this woman and her community has a particular understanding of like what's happening in this woman's life and like thus a particular solution. Um, and there, and, and that's kind of what the psychiatrist, when he has like the whole panel of psychiatrists talking about it, like that's kind of what they say. And that was very funny to me too, because like, that's literally like that scene is in the original exorcist. Yes. Like he has a bunch of psychiatrists who say basically the same thing in this fictional movie in 73 that these real psychiatrists are saying in his documentary in 2016. The psychiatrists in the documentary seem a lot more, I mean, they, I think you're right. They do say basically it's pretty similar things. They seem obviously that it's, it's, they're a lot more chilled out in the documentary because they're sort of talking about it. Like, you know, it's like a thought experiment, but we talked about how it's, it's pretty banal what happens. Uh, the way I originally had framed this question was just like, you know, the exorcism scenes in these movies uh, take the word gender and discuss, but like there, there's something that, that, that for me was very striking about them was um, how much 
especially in the documentary, what you see is like a lot of dudes like pinning down a woman. Like there, like there's like a lot of a lot of like the the the, distru- the, the, the directions are like now grab onto her or hold her down now let her go now hold her down you know and 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 I I was just really struck by by like the way the the documentary just showed like men like manhandling women basically like it, it, in this it's in this sort of salvific way and at the at the sort of the the climax of it it's like you know you have to come back into the church it, you know it's it seems like this very like um like patriarchal authoritarian like set of postures at the end of the day when in when we look at when you look at it from a different angle yeah yeah, and in the doc in, in that documentary, like so Christina is the exorcism we witness, but like there's another woman interviewed who's also a woman who is like behaving badly in church. Exactly. Right? right. Like the story exactly. of the first woman. And I was kind of taking notes and it's like you know, neutral, you know, like again, like absent reverb on voices. Um like the things that they're describing in the first in the first woman's case that they're telling the story of this woman who is possessed, um, quote unquote, um, the things that they're describing are like basically like, you know, you know, absent our presence there, like could be like descriptions of like having a kind of like um, getting getting caught by the Holy Ghost and like ca- catching the spirit, um, you know, like so it's like, what did she do? Like, well, in the middle of church. She like got in the aisle and she started like writhing around and like running back and forth and speaking in a language that she didn't speak. And it's like, oh, so like she brought her like, you know, her her charismatic, like, you know, Pentecostal holiness tradition, like into this Catholic church and they freaked the fuck out and were like, we need to get a, a, an exorcist. Right. Um, and, you know, so clearly with Christina, that doesn't seem to be exactly what's going on, <laughs> but um I did, you do to the gendered point, right? And like, I, I invoked like the kind of, you know, the kind of like the violence against so-called witches in previous generations of like the Catholic, you know, of Catholic history. Like there's clearly a kind of like disciplining of female deviance or perceived like religious kind of like um, malpractice that like, and the reassertion of kind of like patriarchal masculinist authority, um, going on here. And like, I don't think it's a coincidence that like in the Pope's exorcist, the drama, like that, like they cast Russell Crowe, <laughs> like this, like, you know, it, it's like a man's man, masculine, like, you know, like I, you know, I'm, I might exercise this demon or I might like punch you in a like bar fight kind of guy you know um totally. Totally. Uh, yeah, not a, yeah really they really they 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 took the not the action hero knob and they're like you know turn that one you know tur- turn this one to 11 yeah yeah <laughs> travis yeah. Do, yeah. do you any 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 perspectives on the gender dynamics of these exorcisms and and no you know no, none at all yeah. um yes i do uh first to say that um i really appreciate matt your your take on this other woman's testimony and your interpretation of it as oh well this could be seen as part of a charismatic pentecostal tradition and so that that um weirdly thin line in interpretation between this is we can see this as a sign of sanctity or we can see this as a sign of possession has historical antecedents in several different things that should be briefly mentioned one the discernment of spirits um um, and to the um, 
sanctity trials, uh, medieval sanctity trials, uh, you needed evidence, you needed witnesses. There was this whole kind of legal stratification to decide, oh, well, what are we looking at here exactly? Because the other option was a heresy trial. And those there's so much overlap between the two. So the ways that we think about um, juridically sometimes and sometimes uh, less formally, um, what we're seeing and how the prism that we look through divides into this sort of good versus evil is familiar. Um, and of course, uh, there's also a gendered aspect to that, women's bodies going on trial for sanctity, etc. Um, in terms of holding women down, it actually, for me, felt like a psychiatric hospital in those moments, the restraints um, on a woman's body and the history of you know, female insanity. Um, I wondered what would happen if we just let her go, because this feels so culturally scripted as we've, um, I, it is a, one might say it is a purely cultural phenomenon. There is no possession outside of culture, obviously. And so it has to take on a specific form. What would happen if you let her go? What would she do? Because I don't think she would crawl up the walls onto the ceiling and like vomit something green, like or hurt anyone, or you know, yeah, like it's right. Uh, and so, like, what would happen if we didn't do that, um, or could we not? Because part of the constitutive feature of having an exorcism is this assertion of male power onto women's bodies, um, not always women's bodies, but feminized bodies. Um, that that's what makes it an exorcism, and it's no longer that if you were to deviate from the script because script and ritual ritual is also we haven't talked much about that but um i was thinking more about uh earlier one of our questions around this catholic horror subgenre and its success and why it's catholic and what about it um draws non-catholic audiences i would say there's an appeal around ritual there's an appeal around there's a formula here there's a script we're all expecting certain conventions of the genre and there's this satisfaction when they're met like this is real this was we did it we completed the journey together intersecting of course with um clericalism and the priesthood so it was really fun to hear about this more recent films as well matt but um yeah other thoughts about gender here restraints klaus I was going to say just um, when you were saying that the appeal of ritual for Catholic heart, I, I remember saying like one of my first, uh, like my first girlfriend, like watching in high school, watching the exorcist and being raised Catholic and being really scared of it. And she was not raised Catholic. And she's like, this isn't scary at all. And I was like, something really clicked in my mind there where I was like, wait, yeah, what? <laughs> you're not scared. Yeah. Of this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, so I, I, there are exceptions to this rule as someone on Twitter recently pointed out to me, but like my, I think you mean, my I think you kind mean of X? Like pet, I think you mean X <laughs> on X. Sorry. The art, the artist formerly known as Twitter. Um, I, <clears throat> my pet theory has always been that like for a lot of people, the line between is the exorcist silly or is it scary is like, are you formed in a cultural framework within which like this is real and you're watching a documentary or are you just like watching like bad special effects for like a, a kid's head turning around and therefore it's silly. Like um, there's definitely like a, both at the time and since like a documentary quality to the original film. Um, and um, I, I've met people who, even people who are not Catholic who 
are, you know, like, for instance, like in like a, a kind of West African context, like, you know, in a Christian a non-Catholic Christian missionary context in West Africa, like has have encountered cases of spirit possession um, in that context. And they just don't even fuck with them. Like, they're like, no, I won't watch that. Like, it's like, no, no, thank you. Um, like, cause I, I know that it's real is the kind of implication and I don't want to watch that. Um, yeah, the ritual, like just to put a point on that, like spot on, like the ritual is, is essential. Like everybody's a Catholic, you know, even the atheists are Catholics, like when the demons are, are at work, right? Like the Methodists, the Unitarians, like they're all, they're all Catholic. And, and that's for like vampire stories too. Like, you know, um, it's, it's, you need the candle, you need the, there's like a implication in, in the genre that like, you need the real stuff, you need the good stuff, like, and, um, just like praying it away, isn't going to do it. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think that that's, that's spot on. Um, that's literally a yeah. part of Stephen King's Salem's lot where they're like, they're like, yes. they're like, do you have a crucifix? Or like, we just have, no, we, you know, like not like, so they, they think they put like popsicle sticks together or something, but they're like, it would be really good if we had a yes. crucifix here. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's like, I think a line in Salem's lot where he says something to the effect of like, are you Catholic? And he's like, no, he's like, well, you are now or something <laughs> like that. You know, like it's like, um, for, you know, if you're, if you're going to survive, you better be for the Compel next. them to enter yeah. with vampires. That's right. One question I really want to make sure we cover is what happened to Bill Friedkin? Like, like, why did he make this film? Like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I was just like, I just like was watching him. Like, why are you doing this to your legacy? You know, like, like, I don't, does anyone have any thoughts? <laughs> I, I literally, I, I don't have any thoughts. I mean, like I, I did like right before this call, I was talking to some friends and I was like, Scorsese's like 80 and he's making Killers of the Flower Moon and Friedkin is like, you know, on the verge of death and he's like making a like held camcorder like student project film about like an ex. I'm like, what? I, I don't know the answer, but I'm also like, what happened, Bill? Like you, you like, you know, in the 70s, like he, you know, in a sense, like really was a part of and transformed the way films were made. Um, and... The only thing I can say is, you know, <clears throat> it seems to me anyway that he's become a kind of like crypto Catholic right. in in his like later stages, like because like the the making of the Exorcist, like there's this kind of like tension between Blatty, who's like written the Exorcist like as a kind of like evangelical tool to like awaken people to the reality of Catholicism, and Friedkin is a kind of like secular Jewish, like documentarian kind of who's like trying to make a really scary movie. But on the evidence of his most recent film, it seems like he, and, and actually like what he's said in like other exorcist documentaries, like I think that he has like actually like um, come to the conclusion that there's something there, right, there. Right. Um, even if he hasn't like, you know, converted. Right. Well, so he's pushing so hard and like I think you all notice this when he's talking to it was a baron, the archbishop, one of the bishops of, of of Los Angeles. And for me, when he he at the end, so just to to put this in context, Friedkin like has these experiences and films these exorcisms and then he goes to various as we said scientists, psychiatrists, neuroscientists to see like is this real? And they're kind of like, "Well, yeah, like 
uh, pathology happens in culture and people's, you know, interpretations are part of what we think of as real. And like, oh, by the way, I don't think I'm like omniscient because I'm a scientist. Like, I know there's plenty of things I don't know. So then he starts going to like religious professionals and he goes to this, uh, this high level prelate in Los Angeles. And he's like, he's before we've seen him talking to people who don't, who are not like obviously part of the church. And here he's talking to a churchman. And he's like, wait, you know, wait, what do you mean? You're too scared to do an exorcism? Because because Baron's like, oh, yeah, like it's for very holy people, you know, and I wouldn't, you know, and you, you said this line before where he's, he's sort of like being like, why I couldn't do this. And Friedkin can't let it go. He's like, wait, you believe in this stuff. You're in this church and you're too much of a pansy to do an exorcism. You know? <laughs> it's like, he does not let it go and baron's like trying baron's like trying to like sort of like 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 you know like slide out of this awkward conversation and it's like no we got to keep talking about why you won't do an exorcism you know <laughs> what's wrong with you <laughs> it seems like really personal for him it, it, like it's like he's like figuring out stuff about about the about christianity or catholicism he's like wait like you wouldn't do it because you almost get the sense it's like, if, he's like, if I were, you know, to really to go about this, like, I would do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, that was a, that was a very interesting moment in the, in the documentary. And I almost took it for him, for Friedkin, sorry, for, for Friedkin, as like a sign, an, another sign of the reality of exorcism, where he was like, oh my God, like this bishop is so scared that he won't even do it himself. Like, um, you know, like, can you believe it? Like, oh my God, uh, the evil is so real. Um, the churchy evil is off the scale <laughs> that even the church guy won't do it. Yeah. It's like, it's like that's how you yeah. know even the church people won't church around with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. He, and then he like takes his camcorder into the church or does he forgets to take it into the church for the real for the Jamie real deal the and then like splices the together overhead, but you know but, but yeah had you know the drone couldn't follow them then that but would be really didn't didn't you find it such a weird oh my God. choice that the bishop made because there's a really more readily available answer which is doing an exorcism requires some training it's a spe- it's a specialist gig it's really yeah. rare that people want exorcisms in yeah. LA it we have more than one clergy person and i don't know if you know but i run an enormous bureaucracy and that is most of my job also i have this podcast where i do the things that i do on the podcast this isn't this isn't really what i feel called to do uh we could have just also said that especially when he was pressed like you're not you have the power of jesus christ what what's wrong with you pansy (laughs) as possible so colorfully put it (laughs) <laughs> and, the, and, the, and he's like yes, yes I do I've got, yes, the, I I've do got that power <laughs> so good <laughs> so awkward I was like well, sweating a little bit in that scene and to your point about what the church actually is versus what like William Friedkin like imagines it to be and what the Pope's exorcist imagines it to be when you see these shots of the Vatican and it's like friars and dark hoods just like shuffling around like reading ancient manuscripts it's like the dark academia, like like meme style, but like churchified. Yeah. It's like, like, what do you people think these guys do? Yeah. And like the Pope is just always in the sanctuary, yeah. just like, you know, tears of blood rounding down his eyes. Just like praying, you know, like you th- this is what you think a Pope does. <laughs> like it's just mm-hmm. like 
hang out praying all day like oh and 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 reading incorrect latin by the way not to not to be yeah, yeah. you're not you're not, you're not gonna let that one it, go i know but yeah i sorry had to get in there um i want to talk about uh if we're good i want to talk about the uh the clergy one more time the good the good and the bad right we have because we we need camps in yes. this movie <laughs> speaking of camp um we need some camps in this movie. yes the good guys and the bad guys Tell us more about, we've talked a little bit about the characterization of Father Amor in The Pope's Exorcist, but what's at work there? Is this, on the, we've talked a little bit about the kind of um, post-Vatican II, um, the kind of the left and the right. Um, by the way, no mention of what the evil looks like on the progressive side. We don't, there is no like, you know, Cardinal Sullivan yeah. doesn't say, oh, evil's real. Here's what it looks like, in case you were curious. It's pretty mundane most yeah. of the time. Um, but it's bad. It looks like <laughs> inequality. It looks like war. It looks like uh, yeah. sexual violence. It looks like oppression. No, we don't get, nope, nope, nope. Um, okay, so is there anything else going on in this kind of divide of the good clergy, bad clergy that we, we need to talk about? I think in some sense, like the entire subgenre works to reinforce a sense of what the, of what real Catholicism is. <laughs> and, and, and like more broadly, just like we could say, like what real religion is and like what real religion is, is like people battling with supernatural evil um and a kind of reinforcing of like divine order in the literal metaphysical like sense real i mean to go back to what you're saying like real religion is not about like fighting social inequality um it's not about kind of namby pamby spiritual kind of like you know not religious kind of um you know talk it is like hierarchy of power it's the natural um, order yeah right, right. just coincidentally you know governed by men um <laughs> you know just throw that in there natural order uh, of things right um and it's about like kind of the enforcement of kind of ritual realness of 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 the supernatural um so it's like almost you know it's it's funny it's like almost so it is two camps but it's like not like two even sides or even teams it's like the embattled and alienated select few who are surrounded in a sea of um wishy-washy relativistic socio you know symbolizing socio socio socializing like evil right um, and I'm glad you brought up Salem's Lot, Klaus, because like there's this moment in Salem's Lot where like it King Stephen King like puts it explicitly like the priest in the question says like, well, it's a good thing you came to me because if you'd gone to one of these like young modern priests, like they wouldn't have believed you um, that vampires are real. They would have like they would have just like, um, you know, gone along with the show, but like for them, like evil is just like the real vampirism bombs in Cambodia and you know, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, right. Right. So I, I do think that like that, you know, 
Pauline Kael, you know, was kind of right. <laughs> they are, it is kind of a propaganda piece for a particular kind of Catholicism. Um, I think, um, and it, and the quotes, you know, that will often, like I said, like begin or end these movies reinforce that. So like the, the Pope's exorcist opens with like a, a real quote from the real Gabriele Amort saying like the devil laughs when we believe that he's not real, you know? Um, and so, and like, wow, did he see the usual suspects? Like when, yeah. like, when he, you know, it's like. To hear to hear a Kevin Spacey monologue or something. Yeah. Yeah. What a profound yeah. holy man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder if because we have our expert with us, I at the end of this, like how do we get out of this situation in um, the Pope's Exorcist? We've got the you know, we've we've uncovered this that actually the Spanish Inquisition was begun by the devil, um, who has infected the church. We have these not just one child, but now both children of this single mom in a broke, quote unquote, broken family are now um, possessed. And in fact, his assisting priest, whose you know only flaws that he fell in love with a woman once. Um, he likes girls. He likes okay. It's girls. Okay, girls. it's not boys. Yeah. It's girls. Likes girls. Um, Full grown girls. Yes, thank grown you. Grown adult, adult girls. Women. Yeah. Yeah, um, cool. He is getting strangled by his um, his stole. And then we have the then we have the two children who are you know the daughters trying to murder mom and the little boy is you know is the devil and so how do we get out of this? Um, well, self we have a selfless Christ-like self-sacrifice of the of our Russell Crowe's you know super macho um, character. Are you not entertained? Yeah, you're not yeah. entertained. Um, you know, take me. That's what you really want. Um, well, okay, that's an interesting moment. <laughs> anyway, um, and so he, and so that's how he uh, delivers all these people from their possession. And I could not help but think of The Exorcist, the climax of The Exorcist, where spoil, spoiler alert. <laughs> We've spoiled this movie like yeah. four times. It's been podcast, 50 years. So it's been 50 at years. At least. So. I know, that's why it's a little too late. It's, it's a little years. too late. Yeah, catch up. All right, we're going to let it go. So, Father Damien Karras. Um, says the, essentially the same same thing. The demon comes into him. Then he has this moment where he's, the demon inside him wants to murder the child who has now been freed and selflessly recon, and, and heroically regain, regains control of himself, throwing himself out the window and tumbling down the stairs to his death. Um, talk to me about, first of all, you know, self-sacrifice, but also suicide and mortal sin and all of that. Um, and is this... A genre convention or is it is it unique to these two movies that we ultimately exorcism's final answer is this um for the exorcist himself to be possessed and then off himself like what is happening why why couldn't we just have had like a nice ritual at the end with some fireworks and i don't know some angels like show up like i feel like there were other ways to end this story no yeah yeah well i mean if we want to get biblical, we do. Um, <laughs> you know, if you think about the gospel, the gospel exorcism doesn't end with Jesus killing himself, but it does end with Jesus dispelling the demons into pigs, pigs that then kill themselves. Yeah. Um, by the way, which is which was the obvious inspiration for the opener of the Pope's Exorcist, where the the not demon gets thrown from the possessed 
this is in the prologue, the possessed boy into a pig, which is then shot with a shotgun. Again, like kind of like the superhero action hero, you know, transformation. Um, yes. So it doesn't, it's not always how these movies end though. I, 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 I can't really think of one that ends with, and then the exorcism worked and then everything was fine. Like, um, because like, and, and I'm not thinking of like all of the films in, in my head right now, but I am, you know, like some of like my favorite entries in the subgenre, like they don't end that way. It's like the, the exorcism of Emily Rose, which is a, a fun one. It's kind of like miracle on 34th street meets the exorcist. It's like a, it, it's an exorcism story told as courtroom drama where they're like trying to prove the reality of the devil, which is great. Um, but that film, like, like the story in that doesn't end with like the priest successfully having exercised the, the demon. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, it is kind of, and, it, and that's kind of a funny thing about the subgenre because like everything about the movies kind of reinforce in my reading, like reinforces a kind of like the Catholic church knows best when it comes to the supernatural. But ironically, very few of them end with like, and the priest like did it and everybody's fine. Um, I mean, the exorcist, like, you know, actually like the original exorcist, like people have long had like mixed opinions about what we're supposed to make about the ending. Like I take the, I, I basically understand the ending to be exactly what you described, Travis, like as this kind of like, self-sacrificial act that kind of ends on a hopeful note that like kind of like got like that like good triumphed over evil because he was Karis was able to like save this girl but like lots of people panned lots of catholics and and christians panned the movie for being like a movie where the devil won from well, their even perspective in the film, um, he does get to say the last rites right like he like does he like you know, yeah. yeah, he does. He gets confession. Yeah, he takes confession at the he 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 like that. I was gonna add that little bit where it's like so we know he goes to heaven because he like does the confession. Though actually, if you've seen The Exorcist three, uh, it gets it's complicated. Um, yeah, it's complicated. You should watch The Exorcist three. Um, I know three 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 is like a real favorite, and it's I, I know. Yeah, it's it's worth your time. It's there. It's one of those movies, unfortunately, where like there's a really good movie in there, yeah. but like the but like the way like in the case of The Exorcist Three, um, which is actually written and so it's based on William Peter Blatty's sequel to The Exorcist, which is called Legion, um, and it um, was directed by Blatty. Um, so the film is written and directed by the author of the original Exorcist. Um, but unfortunately, they the kind of studio was basically like, you need to make this an exorcist movie if you're going to like make it. And so they kind of like shoehorn what I think is a kind of like really interesting and scary and unnerving film like into like an exorcist story. But um, highly recommend. I think I, I don't know. I've always taken to we were talking about the ritual and how it didn't work. Like for me, that was what I took to be one of the critical aspects, like I, f I feel like Friedkin is like in the original exorcist holding up like, Oh, and we've lost our way in modernity, you know, wither modern man, like, you know, and, and like the church is there as an option, but like it was precisely this person who is a synthesis of the traditional and the modern and the scientific who saves a day. And he does so when the ritual doesn't work, 
and I was like, that's like, you know, for me, that was like what was really one of the smart things about the film was that it actually wasn't just this like sort of like, oh, like affirmation of of the church as, you know, like we just need to go back to, you know, to a Christian Catholic world and we'll be able to take care of us. It's like, it's kind of like, well, maybe, but like not in an institutional way, like the institutional rituals have met their match in this case. And so the fact that it doesn't, that we have like this performative misfire and, you know, having to actually improvise through very drastic, with very drastic measures was, was actually undercutting a kind of really sort of, and we, I think we talked about this, this piece, I forget the author in the New York times who wrote about the exorcist and was like, Oh, it's like a, he had this very, this very kind of conservative Catholic read of it. It's like, Oh, it's like an affirmation of the hierarchy and the structure. And I was like, I guess, I mean, like, not really. I don't, you know, but what's, what's so sad. This is why I asked what happened to Friedkin. It's like, well, is he now actually more on that side than he was when he made the film? I, I think that he, yeah. I mean, an interesting conversation to, to have on this is the difference between the original film, the cut that made the theaters in 73 and then the 25th anniversary edition where one of the things that they, like, I, I agree with you. Like, I think the original film is such a masterpiece because it's kind of Blatty and Friedkin kind of like working together, but also in conflict with one another where like, if you've read the novel or any of Blatty's novel, like he's very didactic. He's like very clear about like the message he wants to give about like the reality of like the supernatural. Um, and Friedkin at, in 73 is this like super secular guy who's like renowned for making gritty documentarian style, like kind of films. And it was a match made in heaven for that original film. And like a lot of, a lot of what they put back in 25 years later were some of the scenes that Friedkin had kind of insisted not be in the original cut. Um, you know, scenes where like the two priests are like talking quite explicitly about like the theological meaning of, of possession, an extra scene at the end of the film with, um, the other priest, uh, father Dyer, um, his, um, uh, Karis's friend that kind of again like kind of gives like an even more hopeful conclusion to like the story um, so you'd like just saying that in in response to the question about what happened to Friedkin like it does kind of seem if we take like oh and also the, the other thing I'd say about the 25th anniversary edition is if you get the DVD which of course I have and you play it when you hit play the first thing that pops up is not the film it is William Friedkin reminding you as re reminding you as a viewer that this is based on a real story of a boy. And it's like, and it's like, and it's like, you may not know this, but like, this was based on a true story. It happened in 1949. And, and then it like ends with, so sit back and enjoy, you know, this cut of the exorcist. Um, and so it's like, like, so even more so than the film itself, like kind of a reiteration of like, this is true. This is not a metaphor. Like, this is not a symbol. Like this actually happened. Um, and like, so if you want to take like Freakin' 73 and then Freakin' 25 years later, and then now Freakin', you know, it was in 2016 that that latest one came out. So like almost 50 years later, um, I think you can like see his evolution. Yeah. Right. And I think something, Travis, you were getting at too with the self-sacrifice part to get back to that and, and, and sort of the evolution here. If, if the 73 exorcist, actually the, 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 the ritual misfires in the Pope's exorcist, 
oh man, they're hit. It's hitting all cylinders. You know, like they they they're they're. they're they're, they're not even exercising anyone at a certain point. Well, like, I guess they exercise um, more. Um, but I think the smart thing that Freakin does is when Damien Karras is possessed, it only, it's like 30 seconds, right? It's very, it's if that. It's a very, it's very scary. It's it's very evocative. It's very scary. And it's over really fast. But a more, it's like possessed, like walking around. And you hear like the demon voice talking in his head. You're like, this is so stupid. <laughs> it's like, you know, in terms of like, how do you make a film scary? It's like, you know, but like a, the, the bottom line is, you know, whether it's scary or not, like the Pope's Exorcist is like a superhero movie. I mean, like it's, it's not about it being It scary. is. It's, it is ultimately, yeah. It, it, it is kind of funny. It's like, it starts out like you can almost break the film into thirds. And it's like the first third follows the genre of exorcism movie to a T and then the middle third becomes a kind of like Gothic horror film where they're like going into catacombs and like returning to like this medieval world, quote unquote. And then the fine, and then like the final scene, like it could be out of a Chris Nolan Batman movie. It's like that, like the, it's like the whole, the, the film has resolved. And now the two priests are like going down into the headquarters and looking at the map of the world. And like, and now like we've, it's like we've we've become our superhero selves and we're ready to like go out and avenge like, you know, these demons um, like a Batman and Robin. And the ritual is like a super they're, they're like the, the crucifix and the holy metals. They're they're yeah. like they're 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 using them in these rituals, but they're like, they're like they have sound effects. It's like it sounds like a lightsaber totally. when he when he put when he grabs the yeah. cru- like the cross, you know, and it's yeah. Like, oh, totally. Fuck. You know, yeah, it's film. No, it's like actually like I, I think like it's not just like. It's, it's, it's not just like a metaphor. Like they're filming it as a superhero. Like, like there's, and, and even like at the very beginning when he's like riding in on his moped, like he's like, it's like, you know, Bruce Wayne, like riding to the Batcave, like to like get, but you like know, Twee to, to West, get going. If, 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 if Batman was made by like Twee yes, West right. Anderson or like fucking Garden State right. or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's what it would be like. Right. 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 Yeah. Do we have any more territory to cover here? We, we did it. Another, a, a huge success. Well, we did Matthew, it. Thank you so we much did for it. On this is great. Walking us through the uh, the valley of the shadow of death that is these exorcism movies. <laughs> we're, we'll all be on the lookout for for all of your projects coming out of this, and we'll we'll link to what you what you've done with this work so far. So yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, men. Thank you, you need, both. You this an is old podcaster, and a young podcaster to exercise the, the, the mystery of William. That's Wilson. right. Who's the, yeah. Who's the, who's the skeptic? Klaus is definitely the skeptic. Uh, Travis He's is way the, churchier than is the archeologist so, yeah, who's coming in. To, yeah. <laughs> He's the one who knows, he knows the Latin. Like you have to know the Latin. And here I thought my superpower was finding See? the right size leftover container. See? Thanks for yeah. thanks for reminding me that um, <laughs> those Latin classes paid off. Um, well, with that, thanks for listening. See you next time. This pod is made possible by support from the Satanic Horde, Asmodeus, Mammon, Leviathan, Beelzebub, and listeners like you. Thank you.